I was laughing at my bottle dropping because I've seen my kids hurl it up in the air and try to land it on its bottom, and the Lord did that for me, so I was rather victorious. Did you see that? It just went boop and landed right on its bottom. The Lord just said, you can't do it, but I can. I'm going to show those guys in Minnesota that you got cool going for you. We're going to dismiss our young kids right now to their Sunday school classes, and we've got a lot of them. Thanks, teachers, for doing that, parents for bringing them, or perhaps them bringing you. Thanks. What I did in the event that you have questions is I took the microphone because the battery was getting low. I could tell that was happening. How are your batteries doing today? You came to the right place for recharging. That's awesome. We'll conclude the service today with two songs that are still in your bulletin. And as I was back there changing batteries, um, we are probably going to, in the next week, next Sunday, have the uh, video feed of the lyrics that are on our papers. I'm probably not going to stop publishing the papers because I, I love the feel <laughs> of the papers between my fingers. And I also think that they get placed in hands and in areas that people find the promises of God through the word that we print, the lyrics that we also have. So, um, But I saw that kind of technology unfolding there, and that was awesome. So where did you sit, Emma? Where are you at? Is she back there? She's sitting kids. So she went on from video to um, children's ministry, so that's great. But we'll try to have that ready by next week. And that, by, by just to let you know, is, is happening by those gifted in their mind for such things. Uh, Jonathan, thank you for your gifting being loaned to us from God. On the announcements, a couple of things I want to be mindful of. Prayer is for us. Our advantage is to have God's perspective in it. But Quinn is now 3.8 pounds. Am I correct? Did I remember that? 3.2 pounds. Okay, well, he's going to be 8 this next week, okay? So 3.2 pounds. So that's prophecy. He's going to be kicking up the scales a little bit. And uh, Caitlin and Chase, we want to keep them in prayer, okay? That's extraordinary. Kevin Carey has uh, had a answer to prayer that carries have I can disclose this now Kevin because everybody kind of knows but Kevin is a fireman from Los Angeles and, the, and that's for seven years you've been up here back and forth back and forth back and forth and so that was a prayer that they could be able to be united as a family husband with his bride and father to the children and guess what the Lord answered it so he's going to be working at Pelican Bay is it fire general, fire captain? Fire captain, okay. Well, we'll work on the other, but at any rate. So Kevin's going to be a part of that unit there, and so that's a praise report. I think that is worthy of an applause. Zachary, tomorrow at 11.30 our time, and they're watching from Minnesota right now, uh, 
goes in for his stem cell uh, therapy. That's the injection of stem cells that were harvested from his body that have been incubated and growing. And so he'll have like a million of them introduced into his spinal fluid. And so we want to keep that in prayer. Pretty exciting. One of 37 nationally that qualified for that particular medical rehabilitation therapy. They've had much success with it. So he's still qualified as Asia 3. That's a term that uses uh, basically an analysis of movement that he has been able to show he could do on his own. He jumped from A to C. There's two remaining stages, D and E. So we just kind of want to see him get to E tomorrow. And uh, don't you think? So he'll be evaluated after tomorrow's uh, clinic. He and his bunkie, Everest, are going to stay at the hospital there. Um, they've been having a good time of fellowship. I saw a big giant plate of ribs that uh, Christy treated them to. I am looking for something that I am intending to share that I think would be cool. I found a journaling of mine that was in harmony with other people who had had kind of the same vision and dream. But as we had packed up and moved, I just wasn't sure where any of it was. So this is personal, but I also believe it's highly spiritual. I'll read it as I can. This is what I penned. And I believe I did so on January 14th. And this was documented at 9 a.m. I dreamt this morning at seeing Zachary in a wheelchair, and he rose up from it without hilt, limp, or struggle. He was in blue running attire, as if he had only taken it as a convenient seat a rest for a brief pondering. Curious, I questioned him why he would do this. Getting up from his chair, he smiled, moving away from the chair, continuing to walk, and the Lord answered me. The spirit of John Herzog is coming upon me. Because I willed it according to his faith and the faithful who prayed. That's pretty cool. That's where it ends, quotation. For whatever, <laughs> for whatever reason, because I'm trying to remember, I, I was either here having a dream, vision, whatever, but as I was leaving, you know how sometimes your radio can just punch into something? And some of you will laugh at this. The chorus that I heard as I departed from the church was, hold on to your dreams. And the only way you could laugh at that is if you're about as old as I am and remember a band from England called ELO. But God, if he can use a donkey in Numbers 2222, he can use a band from Great Britain to say, hold on to your dreams. There you go. Let's go ahead and get into the word. We're going to be finishing up on what has been titled, and I think it's still appropriate, Enforced Peace Restores 
those torn in pieces. So this is a part three. We're going to pick it up in First Kings. We're going to come back just briefly to verse 12 is our tag. And for those of you that have either not been tracking, this is now basically the retirement of David as he has found himself on his deathbed and he has turned over the kingdom to his son Solomon. And it's a picture of a kingdom that Jesus portrays as the Prince of Peace, as King of Kings. Solomon's reign will be permitted by God to be more spectacular than David, who is cited as still to this day the greatest king over Israel. Interesting. But Solomon's kingdom will prevail extraordinarily for a time. And the reason that that's important is because it points, though, towards a time that will no longer be marked by seconds and minutes, by hours. It's an eternal kingdom that God is building. It's a kingdom in which there will be perfect peace, the perfection of being in his presence, so we're learning about that both in Revelation, as events yet unfold to point us to that, but we're also being, I think, challenged as a church to appreciate this profound, in my interpretation, revelation of what God's intention is, and that is to have a reign of righteousness on earth that shall be enforced by one who is noted for compassion, but also for making things right and doing so the right way. So David in verse 12 of 1 Kings has now given up his spirit. Solomon sat on the throne of his father, David, verse 12 says, and his kingdom was firmly established. Firmly established not vacillating, not something that is going to be questioned. It's firmly established because that is what God's intention is in this picture. Governments we've seen can change like that in election cycles. Kingdoms, aristocracies, whatever they may be, they change. God can raise up one and put down another, the scriptures tell us. We know that historically, the nation will experience something following Solomon. But right now, what we're able to do is to focus on the heart of God for Solomon, whom he loves, and loves him just like he loved David. We're going to see shortcomings in him, but we're going to see some real definition on what it requires to have peace in a kingdom that has been torn by politics. We've seen that in our nation, right? Yeah. And very likely it's not going to get better, and if it does, it's only for brevity, for a quick breath, a more heartier prayer. But as Solomon takes the stage right now, 
He has business yet to complete. That's where we're going to be at today. In the same way, the Lord is completing business as well, both with what he has had a heart to do from the beginning, and that's to make place for himself in what we know today as Israel. It's the apple of his eye. His people are precious. We've received the word of God from them, the oracles that are ours and the promises that have been given. And so eyes should be fixed and our hearts should be radically touched to be praying for what? The peace of Jerusalem and for God's people. At the same time, we see in this context of Solomon's life, a bride that will be coming on the scene, veiled slightly in this text of scripture, veiled. But there is a picture of her here as we are a picture of the bride of Christ presently. He's got his eye on us. He loves us. He has adorned his bride on earth in gifts that the Holy Spirit has rendered. It's an extraordinary treasury that he has granted to his bride. He's presenting us without spot or wrinkle. I had to tend my animals today and one of the things that I've discovered with black is it shows everything. And so as I tended them consummately, they left evidence that I was both spotted with them and wrinkled because of them. So I had to go into the bathroom and find a damp towel and begin to brush their stuff off of me. Two of them go out into the rain. Two of them come in with muddy paws. And so I was doing what I needed to do to be presentable. God's already doing that for us. We know where we've been. We know how very often we feel quite unkempt. I did have one compliment this morning. Somebody complimented me on my haircut. <laughs> well, yes, I do use a Norelco. Not a blade, just a Norelco. <laughs> I used to use clippers, but I was highly inaccurate with them, and I found myself leaving artistic design in back of my head. So at any rate, got complimented on my haircut. I like that. Thank you. In the same sense, the Lord honestly does allow compliments to prevail, even over what we would say are the snickerings and the condemnations against us for what it is that may be relevant, the muddy pause, where we've been, what we've done, who we are, but the compliments of God prevail over us because even as communion reminds us, we have the heart of Jesus. We are his bride. Because of his blood, there is no stain seen upon us. We may see that among one another, but it's not seen from God's perspective. It's a beautiful love story. So what must Solomon do right now in this reign that he has that has been authored by God what we looked at in the previous two weeks is that he must restore righteousness. He must do a clean sweep of the corruption that was prevailing in his father's administration. God has allowed corruption to prevail in many administrations since the time of governments being forged. And it's only for a season because God does allow that season to change. 
Solomon right now has to be actively engaged in that. And his father, as we looked at last week, said, these are guys that you need to deal with. I gave them opportunity. They must not have any further patience from you. I was with compassion overlooking that which they did. You now must reign in perfection and take care of them as is required by God for you to do that. These particular people were named last week. Joab's one of them, a relative, but kind of a arrogant man. He's got blood on his hands. David said, do not let that man go into the grave in peace and let his blood be upon his own head. And we looked at that being what inevitably shall be for those that do not accept the plan of God to receive Jesus as their Savior, being Lord of their life, standing, representing them before the Father, then it will be without peace. And it doesn't matter how many in different areas of culture or even what may be for them a sentiment of salutation, rip. Rest in peace. You can say it. You can use an acronym for it, but it shall not come unless that person has come to the Lord in faith, confessing sin, believing in the one that went to the cross in his stead. Because without the Prince of Peace, you cannot have peace in the grave. Without the one who, as God, who came to earth for each one of us, then you cannot have anything but your blood on your head if you refuse to accept the blood of God through Jesus Christ's sacrifice then your blood is on your head that's what we walked away with last week there's three right now that need to be tended we're going to move into this Adonijah the son of Haggath came to Bathsheba the mother of Solomon and so she said, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably. Moreover, verse 14, he said, I have something to say to you. And she said, say it. Then he said, you know that the kingdom was mine. And all Israel has set their expectations on me that I should reign. However, the kingdom has been turned over and has become my brother's, for it was his from the Lord. He should have said that at the very beginning. The Lord is my brother's half-brother's, Solomon's from the Lord. And I petition you, his mother, if I might have audience that I might obtain mercy for what it is I did. I was an insurrectionist. I was in rebellion like my half-brother Absalom. I had tried to do the very same thing that he was judged for, and I need to be forgiven. Would you give me audience with my brother who now reigns in my father's place too? He didn't say that. 
he came up with all of the evidence that says he was the heir apparent and he was the one so carelessly dismissed and the one who now is being slighted. He just wants one small thing to make up for what he suffered. And that is the world system too, the bargaining. Okay, I tried to do this. I had a lot of people that were behind me in the doing of it. But since that hasn't unfolded the way I wanted, I just want one other thing. I just want to have a little part. Wouldn't be too much to ask, would it? If I can just have a little part of what I was pursuing that wasn't mine. And these are the kinds of things that we would say, men, bargaining for something spiritual to appease their pride and to, in their mind, establish them anyways. Ah, what I did, you could see that anybody would do that. Ah, I only did what the people were promoting me to do. You can see that that wasn't necessarily a wrong thing. But from God's perspective, as Adonijah was able to say it, the Lord was the one that chose him. The people couldn't save me. And it's evident that I'm not going to be that man Solomon is. But I do have a favor for you to ask him for me. So rather than repentance, rather than asking that he be restored, even in brokenness and humility, he bargains for something that on a secular level, in what would be at that time a, a, a kingdom mindset, the way that men and women a community would look at somebody who was in authority, he was going actually for a very high request. Bathsheba right now begins to listen, which can happen, and she begins to consent to a pledge, which shouldn't have happened, and we're going to see that unfold. He's asking, speak to King Solomon, for he will not refuse you, that he may give me Abishag, the Shunammite, as wife. You'll remember that as all of the attendees of David in his agedness tried to figure out, how do we keep this guy warm? He basically was suffering from hypothermia. His heart was shutting down. The blood flow wasn't working. Blankets weren't working. And so to them, they would resolve it by calling in a maiden that would serve him and be a blanket for him. The scriptures are clear that there was nothing on David's part that hinted of anything except being kept warm by her from his attendees. That's very clear. And she was a maiden. She was a virgin. Scriptures also will allude that she may have been indeed a very committed shepherdess in her youthfulness, one tending sheep. There's pictures here that are pretty fascinating. But this is the one right now that Adonijah is asking for. What I need to also set up for you is that this may very well be historically the one that Solomon would pen a beautiful song of poetry 
concerning. She here is addressed as a Shunammite, but in the Song of Solomon, there is reason to believe that she became so special to Solomon that she would be the Shulamite. He would be known as a prince of peace. His name affords that in the city of peace. And her name, in what may have been a special pet name for her, as a Shulamite would have been peaceful. In the city of Jerusalem, peace. Under the authority of the king, peace. He weds, eventually, one whose name means peaceful. It's one of the things that in imagery is very fascinating because the church, though strong, we are only strong in him. Our beauty is only from him, the adornment of the Holy Spirit. But what we are noted for, even though with strong convictions, is being a people of peace. We can be a people of peace and yet be very strong in the protocols that this text says we must be about righteousness. We must be about convictions, but we do it in a manner in which the power of God is without denial by any who try to overpower us. It's not by getting your guns. It's not by having pitchforks, and it's not by the loud screams. God does something within us. But I wanted to hand that to you as a picture of what's unfolding right now. Adonijah is Solomon's older brother. That'll come right now to our attention as he's bargaining with Bathsheba, as he's trying to seal her in a pledge to be an arbiter over this particular brother who was a rebel. Solomon will have nothing to do with it. There's no arbitration. What he did and now what he's asking for guarantees a judgment because he has to clean up. Bathsheba said, as he has asked in verse 17, please speak to King Solomon for he will not refuse you that he may give me Abishag the Shunammite as wife. So Bathsheba said, very well, I will speak for you to the king. Was she ignorant or was she basically saying, as you have spoken, you will also be judged? I don't think that she was unwise. I don't necessarily think that she was careless. What she's doing is she's handing him off and saying, very well, I'll arrange an audience for you, but it probably is not going to change the outcome. And if anything, you've sealed the warrant that will be upon your life. You also need to understand that this Shunammite here in this scripture, the Shulamite that I believe is also her in the Song of Solomon, is one who was not within the city. Shunam was outside the city, which means very likely she was a Gentile woman. And there's a picture there. Because the Lord has chosen for himself a bride that is not Jewish. She's Gentile. 
this bride that Jesus has chosen, we as his church believers, we have been chosen because not of our spiritual perfection, but because of God's grace. It incites anger in the Jews. It provokes them to jealousy, those who are steeped. Who are they that are claiming their God is our God? That they are the bride of one who came to represent God, but who we do not acknowledge as God. It's a dilemma for them. But it also helps, I think, make you appreciate this picture. Solomon will be furious with what is being proposed. And it tells us very likely that his eyes as a young man was on her, not out of disrespect. All she was at this time was simply a maidservant being brought in because she was recognized as one that both beauty that was seen and servant's heart that was obviously recognized in her shepherdessing. It had all the qualifications. She was without bias. She had nothing to gain except what? The favor of whom? A prince whose father had left him the entirety of the kingdom. It's a beautiful picture. Our heavenly father is one that in scripture is linked to Israel. Israel is cited in scriptures as the wife of Jehovah. But there would be a son that would come who would be the bridegroom of a very special woman that would be raised up outside of the commonwealth of Israel, kind of just shepherding in the nearness of God's truth, but enamored with the one who gave us this truth with his life. Beautiful picture. Bathsheba therefore went to King Solomon to speak to him for Adonijah, and the king rose up to meet her, bowed down to her, sat down on the throne and had a throne set for the king's mother. So she sat at his right hand. Then she said, I desire one small petition of you. Do not refuse me. And the king said to her, ask it, my mother, for I will not refuse you. So she said, let Abishag the Shunammite be given to Adonijah, your brother, as wife. And King Solomon answered and said to his mother, now why do you ask Abishag the Shunammite for Adonijah? Ask for him the kingdom also, for he is my older brother. For him, and for Abiathar the priest, and for Joab the son of Zariah. 23. Then King Solomon swore by the Lord, saying, May God do so to me, and more also, if Adonijah has not spoken this word against his own life. Now therefore, as the Lord lives, who has confirmed me and set me on the throne of David my father, and who has established a house for me, as he promised, Adonijah shall be put to death today. So King Solomon, sent by the hand of Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and he struck him down and he died. And so some may say, that's so radical, a half-brother. 
my goodness, wasn't there an alternative? That's the problem is that everybody's looking for an alternative to perfection. There isn't. In this case, we have a king who is established by God's authority as perfectly representing him. We'll see that unfold. He won't do things entirely perfect, but he's allowed to picture the reality of what perfection requires. Perfection requires a judgment, a judgment against his brother right now for what he was asking, for what he was doing was a political ploy to incite once again people who had enjoined their hearts to him to have one more opportunity because in that culture, if you claimed a bride, if you claimed someone who had been close to the king and she became your queen, then it said basically to the kingdom, huh, I guess he's the one that's got the bride. And that's what Solomon knew. It was basically setting up for incitement the people to take their cue from Adonijah, which would have then brought Abiathar back into the scene, which would then again have brought Joab back into the scene. And the other characters right now that are temporarily on the scene. But Solomon's not being persuaded, nor will God for those who conspire against him to try some alternative to get themselves into the position of God, king of their life, prince of the day, royalty on earth. It doesn't work, and that's what's being voiced here in this scripture as a picture. Solomon sees through it as God sees through the strategies and ploys of men, of governments, of agencies that want an alternative to get their foot in the door of either spirituality or of eternity. There's gotta be an alternative. So guess what we see? We see bumper stickers coexist with all of the symbolisms representing all of the paganisms that have been the ploys of men and of women to find a shortcut into heaven, but to paint it as such a non-threatening philosophy. It's no big deal. Can't we all get along? Not really. Not really. We can't all get along. We can if we're believers, because we do better at getting along with one another than what we would have done had we not belonged to a family that's eternal and that's governed by God and that's adorned by the Spirit of God, gifted, highly favored. We are. And we've got some things, obviously, yet to get adjusted in our life, but in the rule and reign that is now Solomon's, it means that he has been charged to clean up the remnant of the mess that's been left behind. God will clean up the remnant of the mess that will be left behind. And there will be a time in which that remnant left behind because of the mess they chose to stay in will have a fleeting moment 
to make a declaration to God concerning all things now are off the table. Everything that I tried to scam, everything that I desired to do to make myself in your image, as opposed to acknowledging that I was made in your image, and I needed to reflect that, Lord, forgive me. That's going to be the qualifier to be removed from the pending judgment, which Solomon is portraying right now. He says if he gets her, then he basically is saying, I've got the kingdom. Hence, what does the enemy try to do? He tries to give the church away to the world system. If he can give the church away to the world system, he can proclaim a victory over God's intention to present to himself a bride that is without spot and wrinkle. It's not that we don't see the stuff that gets on us from what gets tracked into us, but we're always in this position of rectifying it, washing it. It's not a laundry that does better than the blood of Christ, but it's what we do in our preparation for Christ. We have practical stuff that we do all the time. But the enemy desires to say, let me just give you away to the world system. You're going to do fine. It's not all that bad. It's kind of the new thing. We want to do a new thing with you, church. And the church has to say, nope, my heart is for my bridegroom, and I will remain faithful to him. It's a great picture. Solomon has already ordered his execution. This might be something that we could say in what is enforced righteousness, then there will be with that those who will be exiled and those who will be executed. We move into this next sector of one, indeed, that is also a picture of a corrupt priesthood. Do you know that the book of Revelation cites a corrupt priesthood? There are only two churches that are commended. The church at Philadelphia, they're commended for doing what? They're small, but they're loving. They have a little power, but they're content with it. That's important. The other church is one that is continually persecuted, and yet they're not allowing that to deter them from the message of the gospel. The others are getting corrective surgery, and some are being judged severely. The point being made now as we move into this, in verse 26, to Abiathar the priest, the king said, go to Anathoth, to your own fields, for you are deserving of death. But I will not put you to death at this time, because you carried the ark of the Lord before my father David, and because you were afflicted every time my father was afflicted. So Solomon removed Abiathar from, the being, from being priest to the Lord, that he might fulfill the word of the Lord, which he spoke concerning the house of Eli at Shiloh. 
Eli, as you remember, was the priest that welcomed in Samuel as a young lad, raised him up to be a prophet of God, not a priest, but to be a prophet of God. And Eli's household had fallen apart. His two sons had become basically apostates. They defiled the priesthood. And so we know that religiosity is, in essence, a defilement of the purity of the priesthood because it's not about an organization and it's not about individuals. It's about God being represented by the institution of the priesthood. Abiathar was not a representative at all of God's heart because he proved to be a traitor to the principles that God wanted represented. For as he had abandoned David, who had God's heart, he had literally turned his back on God. That's the picture. We have the church today that does have Abiathar tendencies turning their back on God to appease the treachery of rebellious individuals that say, do it this way, accept this. Culture's not too bad. Let's get another version of that book you carry. It's a little bit more understanding about some of the harshness that's being presented in here against people that, you know, have a heart for them. We do have a heart, but we're not to tolerate wickedness in their heart or ours. Abbey Arthur is a picture of enforced righteousness, and in this case, the abdication, removal of him from any further corruption in a kingdom that will be righteously governed by Solomon. Gives him an opportunity to be exiled. He does that as a favor to at least the origin of faithfulness that he exercised with his father David. And so very often we say, well, why does the church allowed to do that, to be involved in that? And the only explanation is that it's the grace and mercy of God. It's the grace and mercy of God in a season in which a turning back to God can take place. So Solomon removed him from being priest to the Lord that he might fulfill the word of the Lord which he spoke concerning the house of Eli at Shiloh. And then news came to Joab, for Joab had defected to Adonijah. And though he had not defected to Absalom, so Joab fled to the tabernacle of the Lord, took hold of the horns of the altar. So he's going literally to the structure of spiritual life the place where the ark would be kept, the priest could enter into. There was a replica of it in Israel that we went into, and it's interesting, it's very simple. Something like 100 feet in one direction and 70 in the other. It's a very simple structure. People could come there at the curtain gate, they could enter in to have their sacrifices received, Joab runs to the place where the sacrifice would take place and he's grabbing the horns of the altar and he's doing this because he realizes if that is what happened to Abiathar and I followed him who followed in the steps and seductions of Adonijah, I'm in no better position. I'm at least going to go to a place where maybe I have a chance. 
the problem is, is the only time that he had a chance was while the king whom he served was the one that he went to before his last breath. Time is up for Joab. He has been judged. And nothing that he can do, even going to a spiritual place, will save him. He goes there for the purpose of being saved, but unfortunately, he doesn't have the opportunity to confess his sins. He's not received because there's no one there to attend him. If Abiathar is gone, it means basically there is silence within the order and operation of that tabernacle. Jesus is our high priest, meaning that though he lives, if you're going to grab a hold of anyone now, it's to grab a hold of him before you have no breath in you to do any grabbing. And it's not the structure of a building or thing that can save you. The only way to save you is to cry out to the Lord who awaits to hear you. That's the picture here. Joab knew better, and he had opportunity before David drew his last breath. He still had opportunity to come humbly before Solomon and beg for his life. His father had written a decree, spoken a decree, don't let that man go down to the grave in peace. Do not let that man have anything on his head but his own blood. And what you need to understand is that's the word of the Lord really to a Christ-rejecting world now. You will not go to the grave in peace, and you will not be permitted to have your blood replace the blood of my son. It's not going to happen. You're going to have to come to that point where you confess, where you believe, where you're changed. Joab missed his only opportunity because the sentence of death now has been opposed or has been imposed upon him. And so as he grabs it, it says this, King Solomon was told, Joab has fled to the tabernacle of the Lord. There he is by the altar. And then Solomon sent Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, saying, Go strike him down. So Benaiah went to the tabernacle of the Lord and said to him, Thus says the king, Come out. And he said, No, but I will die here. And Benaiah brought back word to the king, saying, Thus said Joab, and thus he answered me. Then the king said to him, Do as he has said, and strike him down and bury him, that you may take away from me and from the house of my father the innocent blood which Joab shed. So the Lord will return his blood on his own head because he struck down two men more righteous and better than he and killed them with the sword, Abner the son of Ner, the commander of the army of Israel, and Amasa the son of Jether, the commander of the army of Judah, though my father David did not know it. Their blood, verse 33, shall therefore return upon the head of Joab and upon the head of the descendants forever, but upon David and his descendants, upon his house and his throne, there shall be peace forever from the Lord. So Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, went up and struck him, killed him, 
and he was buried in his own house in the wilderness. And the king put Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, in his place over the army. And the king put Zadok, the priest, in the place of Abiathar. And so there's now a priest replacement, Zadok, who will have an extraordinary priestly ministry, raising up extraordinary sons in that priestly ministry that will be highly influential to Israel in the years that Israel will be moving again towards apostasy and rejection of God. But we can say, truly in this case, this is replacement theology. You don't want God, then he'll find somebody that wants him. And he will raise up ones that desire to do his bidding. The difficulties at times in being believers is the bidding of the Lord and what is required of us as believers. Thank the Lord that because of what he's done on the cross, we can do his bidding in the power of the Holy Spirit. And it makes all the difference in terms of what people are able to receive and what they're able to commit to. These are all pictures right now. There is already in this text a bride waiting as the prince is cleaning up. That's what he would be also known for. I am a son of my father, Mr. Ablett, but I also became a Mr. Ablett. I can still be addressed, if you would, in the language of the kingdom as a prince, and I can also be addressed in my homestead, my household as a king. Solomon is both representing himself as a prince and as a king and as a bridegroom who's enforcing the righteousness of his father that takes place in what we would say the ruthlessness of humanity. But God doesn't repent of that. And when we've studied the book of Revelation and understand that that is a time in which the wrath of God is poured out on a Christ-rejecting world, that does mean that time is up. But for those that remain, and some will, they've got one breath left to make Jesus Prince and Lord and King of their life to be saved. And so this judgment has taken place. Benaiah is now going to be the military authority. He would be, if you would, the peacekeeper under Solomon's reign of peace. And Zadok becomes the priest, replacing the corruption of the priesthood under Abiathar. Shimei is one that also will be dealt with. We'll look at that next week. And it's an important part because it almost seems as though, huh, that's not so bad. He had just a little foul mouth. He had a little temper problem. God takes those things seriously. He doesn't like any of that from anyone, and especially when it comes to blaspheming his name. That's not an insult that he takes lightly. And if it were not for Jesus, who forgives completely, blasphemy from a man's mouth would be enough to have him killed. The Old Testament shows that. Jesus said that he will forgive all manner of sin 
but one, blasphemy of the, of the Holy Spirit. And that's not just a cursing to God. It's when in the intention and purposes and evidences of the Holy Spirit, walking, if you would, among men, desiring to dwell within men, convicting men of where they ought to be and what they should say, they ignore it. They can't let it out of their lips. They cling to the blasphemy of denial, and denial is a blasphemy. I can hear men curse. I've done it myself before I said, not going to do that anymore. I'm going to walk in the ways of the Lord, and I'm going to speak the languages of God. I'm going to bless people and not curse them. And I'm looking to the one who became a curse in my stead, that I might be a blessing as he has purposed me to be. So Shimei we'll look at next week. We're going to call for the brothers to minister as the band comes up to lead us in the closing songs of our worship service today. We honor the Lord in the rendering of his tithe and our offerings. He blesses us. He promises that, opening the windows of heaven in such a way that even your pockets can't contain it. What we render to him is an act of worship. Above and beyond that is an act of worship. We call that the offering. So many of you have been blessings to those who have been in need in particular crises, and the Lord sees that. It's an investment. Heavenly Father, we ask for your blessings now. As the brothers come forward to minister in the giving of the tithes and of the offerings, they're yours with our hearts and the gladness of our souls. They are yours. And so committing these to you, thanking you for the privilege of investing in that which is being sent forward, we praise you. Amen. In Jesus' name, amen.